The content presented in this podcast is intended solely for inspirational purposes and is not health advice. The information shared is not to be construed as psychological advice or treatment provided by health professionals. It's crucial you consult with qualified healthcare providers for any specific psychological concerns or medical conditions, and you're encouraged to exercise your own judgment and discretion when interpreting and implementing any ideas or suggestions presented in this podcast. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Sisterhood Downloads. I am your host, Jacqueline Byrne. And I'm Juliet Thompson. And we are so excited to have you join us as we explore how women can truly thrive with reflection, connection, and community. I am a clinical psychotherapist. And I'm a psychologist and coach, and we are both mothers of young children, as well as being entrepreneurs. We are thrilled you've joined us here at The Sisterhood Downloads. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Sisterhood Downloads. Today, we are absolutely delighted to have a very well-regarded clinical nutritionist with us, Elise Cochleff. Elise has over a decade of experience working in nutrition with a particular focus on gut health. Her experience with gut health has led her into exploring many other areas of health, and she really has become a professional problem solver. We are over the moon to have you with us today, Elise. Thank you for joining us on the Sisterhood Downloads. Thank you so much for having me. There was one area amongst um, the myriad of expertise that you have, which we were particularly curious to ask you about. And I know you've um, you've done it additional research and and had a lot of experience with the impacts of mold on people's health and in their lives. Um, We'd be so keen to hear more about your knowledge of mold and how that's, how that's affected people, what you've seen around that in private practice. But maybe to start with, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your journey to becoming a nutritionist? Sure. I mean, like any good journey, I don't think it was straightforward. I actually um, left school and pursued a career in finance. So I did a degree in economics, um, got a graduate position in one of the big four accounting firms and thought I was on my way. And then life threw me a different path. And I was actually scouted by a modelling agency and with the permission of the partner at the time at the firm, he said, you know what, go for it. Your job will always be here when you get back. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll I'll just be gone for six months. I'll be gone for a year. And I ended up taking off overseas, working internationally for many years. And um, on that journey, I actually saw firsthand, not only with myself, but with all the girls around me, the relationship between food and the impacts that that can have on your health and your well-being. And that obviously extended out to how the environment can impact your health and well-being. And... At the time, I did a lot of my own research, which we all know how that can end up, yeah, with a lot more questions than answers. So I actually uh, decided then to study and work at, abroad at the same time and then came back to finish it all off and um, dive straight into my own private practice and I've been doing that for many years now. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. And I'm really keen to hear more about your personal experience, if you're okay to share Um, with mold and how you became interested in that area? Absolutely. So it was probably, I would say, I always, uh, time goes so fast, so it's hard to pinpoint the exact amount of years it's been since it happened. But I would say six or seven years ago, I actually started feeling really, um, 
let's call it, I'd call it numb, as in numb to the world around me. I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I wasn't like elated. I was, I just felt like every day felt the same. And then I ended up becoming quite fatigued and I couldn't quite pinpoint what the driver of the fatigue was. Um, And then I started getting these muscle twitches, which were really quite strange. And I thought, well, this isn't good. So um, we actually had behind us a big um, apartment complex or was being built. And in that process, there was a knockdown and who knows what was released into the atmosphere. And it was since that that those symptoms had started. And so I thought, okay, I need to explore what environmental triggers may have been involved in the sequence of events um, or sequence of symptoms, and I did. And I did a lot of testing. I did a lot of research and mould came up, like, off the charts. And so I thought, okay, this is a very relatively new area at the time too. Well, not a lot of people were talking about it. So I was able to then, um, yeah, do a big deep dive on that and start the healing process myself. And it was pretty incredible, the results that came from it. Wow. Wow. And was that mold that you found in in where you were living or working? Where did it show up from? We never actually found it. Um, There was water damage in the place that we were living in, but it was within a concrete wall. So we couldn't actually see it. And when we had someone come out and test, they couldn't find it. So we thought maybe it was from a past exposure. I mean, I've been living all over the world at this point. It could have been anywhere. And then perhaps that the environment behind us, when they did that demolish um, or demolition, that perhaps that was just added to the load and was the tipping point for symptoms. So interesting. And and for for people listening that also might not have had a lot of awareness of mold, how would you how would you define what mold actually is? What what is the difference between mold and mildew? What is the substance that we know as mold? So mold is a fungal growth that will um, it forms and spreads on any damp or decaying matter. So basically it can be found indoors or outdoors, yeah. It's a persistent problem, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's in all climates and um, it can happen at any time of year, okay. Most people will think, oh, but my house is good, don't have any problem because I can't see any black mould, but mould can be black, mould can be white, it can be orange, it can be purple, it can be green. There's lots of different um, mould species, already learning so much is rainbow mold (laughs) there is rainbow mold and I think one of the biggest problems that people struggle with is like they said I said sorry like I said it's I don't have any black mold I'm fine but there have been cases with patients where we have had um white mold covering the wall that their desk faces and they had no idea Fascinating. So you mentioned that mold grows in all sorts of climates. For me, the first thing I think of when I think of mold is that what we have in Sydney at the moment, unfortunately, which is that very wet, humid type conditions. Does mold grow in a dry, hot summer? It needs moisture. Okay. So it can be like the air is humid and we obviously see increased risk of mould growth in somewhere like New South Wales, especially Queensland, the Northern Territory, far north WA. They're obviously high-risk areas. But it can still be present in other areas, like a bathroom that's poorly ventilated, yeah? Right. Uh, A kitchen that's poorly ventilated. If you've had a water leak, and it doesn't need to be like water gushing, it can be like two, three drops every now and then, but that presence of moisture allows the mould to um, attach and grow to that specific space. 
Is there anything else that causes mold to grow? Any other conditions that might make it grow faster? It loves moisture, yeah. Um, but basically what we don't realise is that mold spores exist everywhere and they float in to the like throw into the environment, whether it's your home or your office space, and attach to something mold, uh, something sorry, damp, and then that is where it grows from. Yeah. Okay. So if there's nowhere for it to spore and grow, no dampness, etc., then your problem is reduced significantly. Okay. And you mentioned some of the symptoms physically that you were experiencing. Are they pretty common or should people look out for some other really common symptoms if they're thinking that they may be exposed to mould? So one of the biggest challenges with um, I would call it the acceptance of mould illness is that everybody is impacted differently. So we do believe that there is a subset of the population who have a uh, particular genotype called an HLADR, and that actually prevents them from ad- adequately detoxifying mold spores from their body, which then obviously their symptoms are much more extreme than someone who can be exposed and then work through those symptoms quite like readily. Yeah? Um, so we can say that your symptoms for mold can be fatigue to chronic fatigue. Yeah, you can have um, a couple of days of feeling a little bit brain foggy to months on end. Yeah, and so it's such a big, um, like it's such a big range of symptoms that it's hard for anybody to go, yes, this is me. But yeah, the predominant ones would be your fatigue, your brain fog, um, the static shocks that I was talking about, so muscle twitches and things that were just popping up here and there, ringing in the ear is another one. Um, vision changes, blurry vision, trouble focusing, uh, joint pains, insatiable sugar cravings, which can come from another other reasons as well, but can be linked to mold as well. Abdominal changes, so abdominal bloating, discomfort, loose bowels, constipation. Um, yeah, it goes on and on and on. Basically, it is a multifaceted, multi-system illness. Are there regulations at all in Australia about exposure to mould or is anyone checking buildings that people are working in for mould to keep people safe? I mean, I wish they were. Again, it comes back to that difficulty in attributing symptoms to the presence of mould and everybody being impacted differently. Um, There are particular uh, legislation or regulations, I should say, in place to protect tenants. So if you are renting a building, like an office or a home um, from someone, they have an obligation to ensure that when you move in, there is no mould in that environment. Um, If mould does present in your time there, then it is up to you to notify the landlord as soon as possible. And then um, it is up to basically the powers that be to determine who was the driver of that mould. So did you not turn the fan on and open the windows during when you were using the shower? Therefore, mould grew. Therefore, the onus is on you to remediate it. Um, But, yeah, there's nothing set in stone. There are a lot of um, building biologists at the moment who are doing a lot of work in this space and they're able to go out and adequately search for mould. And there is a couple of mould remediation companies um, that will come out and, again, take over the space and um, tell, talk to you about your exposure and particular drivers. But nothing as like a blanket rule, levels have to be below this amount, for this amount of time. 
Right. So you mentioned uh, brain fog as one of the potential symptoms. Has there been any research uh, around any links to mental health generally? It's not. The research is basically we're still at the very early stages. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So research is links. What we're seeing is links. So links to brain fog, links to depression, links to anxiety. Yeah. And links to fatigue, links to insomnia. They're the kind of mental health links that we're seeing. But there's no direct cause and effect at this point. It's so hard, isn't it, being so ambiguous and there are so many things that can cause those symptoms. It uh, it really is complicated. And I wonder if a part of a process for a person, if they're thinking, you know, I, I have these symptoms or some of these symptoms, is to, what would you say about the idea of just doing a visual at least to start with, a visual inspection um, to see if they have any mould in their house? Would you say that would be the first step? Absolutely. You can look for the visual appearance of black mold. That could be number one. Looking for water damage. So peeling of ceilings, bowing of ceilings, bowing of walls. Um, most of the time when I ask patients a specific, a specific set of questions regarding visual appearance of mold or water damage, they're like, oh yeah, that's in my bathroom. Oh yeah, no, that's in my, people know it's there. Um, Then, of course, if you can't see anything, have you noticed any water leaks? Yeah. Is there a musty smell when you enter the room? Yeah, because that's for someone who um, has suffered from mold illness, there is, and uh, a number of people have said this, once you know the smell, if you walk into a room with the smell, you're instantly triggered to get out of the room. Body says, no, this isn't good for us. So the musty smell is a big one as well. That's so interesting that as soon as you said that, um, I was like, oh, yes, I know that smell. And I hadn't almost been conscious of it, but I, um, I'm very attuned to smell, uh, which is a blessing and a curse. But it's um, it's something that I think, oh, yeah, I definitely know. It's almost like they're those musty um, homes that you go into and maybe the, the blinds are closed a lot or there's not a lot of uh, well-ventilated uh, spaces. You touched on um, the acceptance of mold illness and as Juliet was saying, like because it, it's hard to to kind of nail down or give a specific profile to the consequences of uh, what someone might experience from mold exposure. Um, what is often misunderstood about mold, and and what are the challenges in getting this better understood and accepted? Yeah, again, I think the challenges come down to that small subset of the population suffering worse than others. And it's not uncommon. Um, and I know even in my instance, when I showed my partner, I was like, look, I'm this is this mold's off the charts. And it's like, I don't feel anything. I can, and there's that, and many, many patients have said it before in the past, many, many friends have said it, that um there's almost this dismission, the dismissiveness of like, I'm fine, that you it must be something else. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest challenge. Um, and then, of course, there's the cost of testing and then the cost of remediation. So testing um, for mycotoxin, which is mold illness, um, at, in Australia is probably about four or $500 at the moment. So you want to be pretty on the money before you decide to test. Yeah, There are smaller tests that you can use that aren't as definitive, but, yeah, there are definitely tests that can be done. Um, and then treatment is expensive. Um, in all cases of mold illness, I, I hate this part of the consultation because you have to get out of the space. And everyone's like, what do you mean? 
And I'm like, you have to leave the space. You can't stay in there. Um, and then, of course, um, there's the cost associated with that, but then also removing the ceiling or um, completely, like, removing like you have to get rid of soft furnishings and things like that if you're being heavily impacted um and that I think would be the biggest challenge yeah I can imagine that being an enormous psychological hurdle for people especially if they have other household members who aren't impacted yeah can you imagine saying to your partner um we've got to leave the house and throw out our bed and our pillows yeah yeah like what are you talking about you mentioned um uh, mold testing, like toxicity testing, where if someone wanted to follow that through, who would they go to to access that that test? You need to find a practitioner who specialises in mold. Um, anyone can order it, but reading it is not as simple. Um, so you would find someone who specialises in that area. Okay, sure. Excellent. Um, something really I mean, pertinent, I mean, given that I think we all have some, at least if you're in Sydney or a wet area at the moment, we probably all have some cases of mould. You mentioned that white mould and I think that um, when you look at something side on, if you see differences in texture, is that what you're talking about with white mould? Okay. So, yeah, I might have to go and deal with that. How might I deal with that? Either white mold, black mold. What's the first step if you don't have and you don't have particular symptoms, let's say, and don't have to take a very drastic approach? If you wanted to remediate yourself as best you could, what what could you do? The trouble with cleaning mold is that you basically wipe the surface, um, disperse the spores, so they have more of resettling elsewhere but they will remain dormant until the dampness returns so your ongoing problem is remediating that dampness yeah taking that humidity out of the air so i live in queensland and i have a dehumidifier on upstairs and downstairs bathrooms and i switch it on and i dry everything out once the showers are done um and we have, like, our cleaner cannot believe. She's like, this is the only shower that I go into and there's no mould. And we've been living here. It was new, but we've been living here for two and a half years and we still don't have that problem. So invest in a dehumidifier, yeah? Look for the source of the dampness. If it's the air, then the dehumidifier is going to be your best friend, yeah? If there's a water leak, we obviously have to fix that, okay? If there's trees surrounding like the area causing too much shade, not causing enough ventilation, or you're not opening windows, obviously encourage that process. Um, But be very mindful of cleaning it yourself. That to me is a huge problem. Right. Masks, would that help? Can help, yeah. But I mean, trying desperately. (laughs) (laughs) Again, like I said, one of the biggest challenges with mold is removing it correctly. and there are particular companies that will come in and cl- clean it. Um, but people always say it comes back, yeah, because they never dealt with the problem. Um, a couple of the companies that I use to do inspections and remediation here um, in Queensland, they come in, they do a complete, they do a humidity reading of the room. They do, they test for any water damage. They go over it like it's like a um, scene from one of those CSI shows. They go over everything. Um and they present you with a list of uh, recommendations. So add some whirly birds to your roof, which is one of those things that's been around and increase ventilation. Cut down some trees from outside. 
recommend like given the area that you live in dehumidifier is an option and then of course they go in with a um, treatment called ozone treatment which to me seems to be the only thing that I've found effective aside from moving removing it completely um, but there is a significant cost attached to that as well. It is it is frightening I know uh, our house is over 80 years old and they're there's a, there's a lot of damp um, in the environment. The area of Sydney I live in is notorious for mould and dampness. And as you were saying, that sort of different texture, even around the white mould, a light bulb just went off for me as well. I was like, oh, no, it's not just the mould we can even see. There's a whole other, um, so many other types of mould to be conscious of. Absolutely. But that's, is there anything, um, because I'm hearing that ultimately it's it's moving environments and it would probably be hard to find a house in the area this area of Sydney that doesn't have some mold that's quite active unless you did a, a completely new build or um, did something quite radical is there anything else at all that we can do to protect ourselves or does it actually just have to be beyond um, maybe reducing it all the things you've mentioned with humidifier etc um, in terms of, of how we can protect our bodies or something we can take or support ourselves better if, or if, if in the case someone maybe had to also work in an environment where they had even less control of uh, where that location was and how it was managed, is there anything they can do to protect themselves? Yeah, again, it really depends on the extreme or on the symptoms that they're experiencing. If you aren't experiencing significant amount of symptoms, you may be one of the lucky ones that detoxify quite well. So then, of course, maintaining a healthy lifestyle, encouraging um, adequate like uh, sweating through perhaps regular sauna sessions, um, ensuring that your detox pathways are open um, so that your bowels are moving regularly. Um, you're not, again, like coming back to sweating, you're not one of those people that I rarely sweat that's that's a problem like we need to work on that um so adequately ensuring that that is the case um and then obviously supporting the body through a whole food diet supporting liver function all those wonderful things looking after yourself mm. really is the best possible way that makes sense yeah. yeah but again if you're if you're one of those ones like myself that struggled to detoxify mold adequately then you have to look at more drastic um changes in order to get better yeah and I don't want to scare people in thinking, oh, well, that's just too much. That's just too overwhelming. I don't know how I'm going to move through this. Um, and therefore, I'm not going to touch it at all. Um, we didn't have to move from our place, um, even though there was water damage. Um, and I was able to adequately restore my health to optimal levels without having to make huge, huge changes. There was obviously a few things that I had to do, but it wasn't a significant um, shift. Um, like I said, um, in my story, it doesn't have to be symptoms of hit because of where you live now. It can be symptoms that actually started a while ago. You didn't notice it. Something around you in your environment has been a catalyst or that tipping point. And then symptoms have, um, really hit their peak. So, yeah. That's a good one to highlight as well. Yes. I think you have the experience, you tend to just look around you for where you are right now, but that it could have could come with you. It could be something from the past. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I have my suspicions about particular places that I lived and where it possibly could have come from, but um, yeah, it's, it's not always the house that you moved into unless some people go, it all started when I moved into this house. Yeah. Yeah, red flag. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, let's stop there and let's dive a little bit more go down this mold path mm. before we look at anything else. Yeah. Mm. Such a fascinating topic that I don't think is spoken about enough. Uh, yet in the last few years, I imagine with the change of weather, at least in New South Wales, I'm not sure about the change of weather across Australia, but at least in New South Wales, I think it started in um, 2020 or I, I can't remember a few years ago, we suddenly started to get these very, very wet summers that we weren't experiencing before very often. And I think from that point, we've seen this problem. I don't know what the stats are, but I would imagine double or triple. Have you have you heard how mould has um, increased as a problem? I haven't heard statistically, um, but I'm seeing it in presentations and it's definitely moving further south. It used to be very much far north Queensland um, was my probably the, the mecca of mould issues for a lot of people and Northern Territory. Um, but again, um, like I said, like I was on the Gold Coast um, and I am suspicious of a place that I lived in in Victoria as being a problem. Um, one of those things is it's, I don't live in those humid parts of the world. It doesn't affect me. It actually can, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. And I'm really glad that we've had the opportunity today to, to lift the lid on it a little bit and start um, you know, inviting people to have a think about whether this is something they need to deal with. Yeah, it's a huge area. Um, it can be completely overwhelming, but I do encourage people that if you are suspecting that this might be an issue, keep looking for someone who can best support you um, and don't let anybody else shut your symptoms down. I think that was a big one for me. Yeah, Underline that. Yeah, absolutely. And so much about what the sisterhood downloads holds is women having a voice and having that autonomy in every domain of their life and their medical experiences and their relationships and their work. It does, believing yourself and backing yourself and being your own advocate is so important. Yeah, and keep keep fighting. Yeah, because sometimes, unfortunately, in the quest of becoming becoming the better version of yourself, there are there's pushback. Yeah. And you are dismissed a bit. Yeah. So you've got to keep pushing. Um, but I believe that everybody deserves the right to find the core driver of why they aren't feeling like themselves. Absolutely. Yes. And we're so glad to bring that onto the radar of our of our audience today with you, Elise. Thank you so much again for your time. Um, we are we are very, very grateful to have shared this interview with you. And we will leave all of Elise's details in our in our show notes. Thank you again, Elise, for joining us today. No, thank you so much for having me. And I hope um, I turned a very complex topic into something that was a little bit more easy to understand and less overwhelming. I think you certainly did. All right. Until next time, listeners, take care. 